What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Hello, everybody. The theme of this episode is burgers and bourbon. And coming up, I'll be talking to one of the world's leading authorities on hamburgers, George Motes. Love me some George Motes. And after that, I'll be chatting with our old pal, Kaveh Zamanian, the founder and whiskey maker of Rabbit Hole Distillery. Also love me some Kaveh. But first, I want to tell you about an exciting new thing I'm doing on an app called Stereo. Stereo is the social media app for the podcasting world. This forum, the one you're hearing right now, is kind of a one-way street. I talk and you listen. But when I broadcast on Stereo, you get to join the conversation live by pressing a button, recording a message, and hitting send. Then me and my co-host, in this case it'll be actor Colin Donnell, will play the message and respond to it. We keep going like that. You message, we respond. You message, we respond. Fun! The stuff we talk about on stereo is different from what I'm doing here. On stereo, we just shoot from the hip. And Colin and I will be doing just that live on the stereo app this Thursday, February 4th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. Topic will be best drinking quotes. You know, like, I drink to make other people more interesting. Ernest Hemingway said that. We're going to be doing that kind of stuff. And I would love for you to join Colin and I again this Thursday. All you got to do is download the Stereo app and follow me at Stereo.com slash Dan Dunn. That's Stereo.com slash Dan Dunn is your chance to fire away with any and all questions you've been wanting to ask moi or Colin Donald. So download now and join us live this Thursday, February 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on uh, Stereo. Sorry for the burp, but it's a drinking show. Stay thirsty, my friends. The pandemic does not appear to be hurting alcohol sales. According to a report in the trade journal The Drinks International, the tequila industry enjoyed record levels of production exports in 2020. Production reached 374 million liters. 286 million were exported to more 120 countries. In total, over 1.4 million tons of tequila were consumed worldwide. And the resulting export value of all that was 2 
billion dollars. That's a billion with a B. Another article I read in USA Today said the hard seltzer boom that started a couple of years ago has just blown up during the pandemic. Brands are coming out with all kinds of new flavors and products. A uh, year after Anheuser-Busch launched its Bud Light Seltzer, companies just launched Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade. You've seen these commercials. They're all over. The ones where the, the grannies get pissed off because the lemonade, they somebody says, oh, this lemonade's better than my grandma. And grandma overhears and, and takes a... Uh, an ice pick and stabs him in the temple with it. You've seen those commercials. So that's happening. And then not to be outdone by their fellow Anheuser-Busch brand, Michelob Ultra just introduced Michelob Ultra organic seltzer because, you know, you want to be drinking that fake seltzer shit. You want the organic seltzer. And I guess, look, if you're trying to watch your weight, it's great. It clocks in 80 calories, zero grams of sugar. It comes in three flavors, spicy pineapple, peach pear, and cucumber lime. I don't know if that's for me. Maybe it's for you. Is it for you? Maybe you're a truly person instead. Truly hard seltzer. They just launched an iced tea seltzer this month, January. They call it the first of its kind. It's hard seltzer, brewed tea, fruit flavor. And that comes in lemon, peach, raspberry, strawberry, hard iced tea. One gram of sugar, 100 calories. So it's got a little bit more. You might pick, you might pack on a quarter pound as opposed to the Michelob Ultra. And uh, finally, in the booze business, we're talking about how things are going during the pandemic. The, the Associated Press is reporting that despite plunging sales in bars and restaurants, we all know about that, they're, mo- they're either not open or they're barely open, the American whiskey sector still rang it up in 2020. Liquor store and online sales surged. Restaurants were getting innovative for their thirsty cut. They were doing cocktails to go and, and, and responding to pandemic restrictions that way. And as a result, Combined U.S. sales for bourbon, Tennessee whiskey, and rye whiskey rose 8.2% or $327 million in rows in 2020 from 2019 to $4.3 billion in 2020. $4.3 billion on bourbon, Tennessee whiskey, and rye whiskey, man. Makes me feel good. Still can't wait to get back into the bars, don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm glad to see that the spirits industry is alive and well right now. Okay, we, we got we got a lot here today. So it's time to get to our first guest, but not before a quick word from one of my dream sponsors. It's not a real sponsor. It's just a dream sponsor. In this case, it's Miller Beer, circa 1979. When the only sound is the frozen silence of winter, you go to work. Throwing mountains of snow back into the sky. And when the track becomes a railroad again, it's Miller time. Time to head for the best-tasting beer you can find, Miller High Life. If you've got the time, we've got the beer. Miller Beer. Burgers, burgers, I love burgers. And this man knows more about burgers than anybody that I know. I've spoken to him in various capacities on other shows that I host, but I've never had him on this show. So I'm really excited for this. He is the author of Hamburger America and the great American hamburger book. He is a res- he is the resident burger scholar on the burger show on Complex Media's First We Feast. Please give a warm what we're drinking. Welcome to George Motes. George. Hey Dan. Good to see you, man. How are you? I mean, great. See, I love I love seeing you because every time I see you, it means we're having drinks. It means we're having drinks and burgers. In fact, I made a burger 
George, because I I watch you make these burgers in the videos, and it is incredible. And I tell everybody, go to at Motes Burger, that's M-O-T-Z Burger, Motes Burger on Instagram, and just watch the magic that is George. And I defy anybody who eats meat and burgers to watch that and not instantly begin watering at the mouth. So I watched a few of your videos earlier and I got inspired. I may, I went to the store, I bought the meat, I did the whole thing. So normally on the show, I raise a cheers with a drink, but I'm going to raise a cheers right here to my little burger. What do you think of that? How's it look? Oh, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty classic, pretty standard, pretty standard. Let me see what you got. Oh, you're not going to believe what this is. What is that? <laughs> this is in the hamburger family. It's not technically a hamburger. It is a loose meat sandwich. Anybody who's from the from the Midwest, specifically from Iowa, it is the pride of Iowa. It is a sandwich that is cr- just steamed crumbled beef, and it has the all the hallmarks of a hamburger. It has well of a classic hamburger: onion, mustard, and pickle, and that's it. So it's crumbled steamed beef on a bun with onion, onions, mustard, mustard, pickle. Oh boy! I know it sounds. Let's cheers to this because everybody loves to listen yeah. to people chew on podcasts. So here yes, I'm going to ra- exactly. raise our burger and say cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh my god! All right, think of a, a sloppy Joe without the slop in it. Mm. Good. I'm going to give myself some props on my burger here, George. What did you make? What is yours? All right, so I just went. Sorry, folks. I know this sounds disgusting. Mm. <laughs> okay, got the beef at Whole Foods, quality beef. Um, I put a little egg in there, a little bit of breadcrumb. Some seasonings, you don't like the breadcrumb. I already seen you shake your head a little bit there, but that's all right. <laughs> Put a little. You can tell me. We're, you're going to learn me more. You're going to learn me on no, these. No things. judgments. No judgments here. Keep going. Some spices in there. A little pool of garlic in there. Made the patty. I did the pinch in the middle so that it doesn't turn into a ball. Did that little thing. Put it on there. Medium high heat. About four minutes on each side. Yep. Threw some cheese on there. On the, after I flipped it. Put it on a traditional like uh, little Kaiser roll there, a little onion, tomato. I put ketchup and mayo on my burger. And there we That's go. That's good. Ketchup, I would, you don't need ketchup unless you mix it with the mayo. Mm. The only reason I made a face was because um, there's a, well, there's two things going on here. One is the traditional side, which is of me says, you know, you shouldn't put anything inside the beef. It should be on the outside. But then there's a scientific side, which says that if you put spices and stuff inside the meat, um, you cook a burger so fast, there's no time for those spices inside to actually do anything except just sit there and be in your mouth when you take a bite. That's okay. Why. So you're so saying yeah. you're saying the seasoning should happen on top of the meat. Yeah, it should happen where there's going to be some kind of like a, a you know a, a cooking chemical reaction happening. The heat surface is really only going to be affecting the outside of the burger because it happens so fast. There's not enough residual heat going through the burger cooking scientifically for it for the spices to do anything spices actually need to um they need to, uh to 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 wake up in a way if that makes any sense and the only way they're going to wake up is if they're either rendered by cooking or if they're somehow activated by some kind of liquid like if they're in a sauce and they sit overnight and, and they really don't do it otherwise they just they just you just taste them in your mouth okay so, <laughs> sorry this, i'm laying down some very weird science no, here. I, this is yeah. i love this man so now tell me you also sort of winced a little when i said breadcrumbs Right, because breadcrumbs gets into the meatball family. That's the difference. Okay. And uh, meatballs, again, are cooked through. They're not – so you're trying to cook a burger. You do want to have a little bit of moisture inside, whether it's pink or at least, you know, cooked through but still super moist with rendered fats. But 
the the breadcrumbs will only really do their work whenever you cook it uh, slow and low like a meatball would, basically. All right. Well, see, in an, the, in an oven. The point is, George, I grew up poor in Philadelphia, and breadcrumbs were not necessarily a taste component of the burger. It was a yeah. way to stretch that ground beef as long as you could. I think most of the burgers I had as a kid were probably 60, 40 breadcrumbs to meat. <laughs> I believe that. There's, there are places still outside. Of, I mean, there's still places in the country, mostly in, um, in parts of like Western uh, North Carolina and West Virginia, uh, where they still do put lots of uh, they put so much bread breading in their meat for their burgers they actually call um, burgers with no breading a burger with meat. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to since we're, we got the burgers, we're, we're going to do a little pairing. We're going to get into a, in an area that I know a little something about, which is alcohol. And what we're going to do with this one is we're drinking Rabbit Hole, one of my favorite whiskeys in the world and you got a bottle and I got a bottle. I normally would be doing that. Normally, I mean, pre COVID George and I would be doing this in a really cool spot together, but we're doing it over zoom. What we have here is the rabbit hole, high gold Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. This is a high rye whiskey. It means it has a oh. high rye component in the, in the mash bill. Okay. Corn, like as we know, has to be the primary has to be 51% corn at least to be called bourbon, but the rest of the mash this one has a, a hard percentage of German rye in it. And I got to tell you, it adds a lot of sweetness and a little spice to it as well. George, I'm going to do my mine. I decided with my burger, and I really want to talk to you about what works pairing-wise, but I'm going to do the rabbit, gold, rabbit hole high gold with a smoky ginger ale. Oh, well, how do you get a smoky ginger ale? Where, do you, where does one find a smoky? I know ginger? people. You know, I know people. Uh, <laughs> no, it's right here. I'll, it's the uh, here. I'll show it to you. Fever Tree. Oh, Fever Tree. Yeah. Oh, I had that. Yeah. Fever Tree makes a, a smoky ginger ale. I, I say this, and I'll, I'll say it all the time. Whatever you do when you're making drinks, you can buy the best spirits in the world. If you put them with shitty mixers, you got a shitty yeah. drink. Okay. So I love Fever Tree, and they have so many different flavors. Now the smokiness, I just figured. With the burger, you're going to get the smoky and the sweet in the ginger ale. And, of course, the same thing going on with the whiskey. Right. I'm going to tr- – should I do it here? Should we, should we try this? I'm going to take a bite. Yeah, yeah. Again, because I think the audience really loves listening to me stuff – food stuffs into my face. Oh, hmm. So there we go. I'm doing that. All right. Now, do you take the sip while the burger's still in the mouth? Is that okay? I mean, between. Sort of as a palate cleanser. Mm. <laughs> All right, took a bite, tasted great. Now I'm going to do the drink. Mm. Oh my, there it is. You think beer. I always think beer with a burger, but yeah. what about the whiskey? You, you just took yours neat. I took my neat, yeah. I was just, I was just interested, interested in seeing what it tastes like before I started putting things in it. That's a good whiskey right there. It's a fantastic it whiskey, yeah. And uh, do you, so you're get. I mean, if you what you're going to get with that with that extra rye in there, some baking spices, some butterscotch. Are you getting any of that kind of stuff? And I think definitely. I didn't know there is there rye, there's rye in bourbon. I didn't know that. I thought rye was rye grain. That was it. In order to be bourbon legally, the mash bill has to be fifty at least fifty one percent corn, corn, right? Yeah. Then it's then it can be anything, you know, other it could be it can be barley, it can be wheat. High, and rye is often used, but not in not in any big percentage. You know, I I don't have to right. check and see what the percentage is on this one, but it it's a high rye meaning a considerable 
portion of whatever's left after the corn is right. rye. Yeah. So, but a rye whiskey itself would be something in which rye is the primary uh, grain right. used for in the mash bill. This tastes like a rye. This tastes like a smooth rye. That's what it tastes like. It's a really interesting bourbon. I would say that. I mean, I think it's yeah. one of those ones. It's just two of the two of the best worlds coming together. So, how does that taste with your? Tell me the name of your burger again. Are you a sandwich again? Is it a sandwich or is it a burger? You know, technically it's a sandwich. Um, it's a loose meat sandwich, which is, or I mean, depends on where you are in the Midwest. It could be loose meat. It could be something called a loose hamburger. It could be something called a tavern, a made right. People know them as made rights. That's actually, that's the um, the very familiar name for the sandwich. And where does that, right. where does that come from? Iowa. I mean, the, the, the term made right just means they made it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually spelled M-A-I-D. M-A- I don't know why it's spelled. It's a, it's a, you know, just a catchy play on letters and words. Um, I think it was actually invented in, of all places in Montana. And somebody brought it to Iowa. And ever since then, it's been known as an Iowa sandwich, 1928. You mean they wanted to city slick it up a little bit? They're like, you know, let's get this thing out of Montana. <laughs> and go down to the big city down in Davenport, Iowa. Iowa. Let's see what's happening Iowa down there. It gets the unfortunate, uh, you know, distinction of, of being called a flyover state, which always makes me crazy because, you know, I don't, I love the state. I love, I mean, Iowa is a great place to visit, especially for food and hamburgers and loose meat sandwiches. Um, so I hate when people call it a flyover state, but you, I did realize that every time I go to LA and back, we're flying over it. <laughs> no question about it. When I wrote my book, American Wino, I went through Iowa and um, I went to a couple wineries there in Des Moines. They, oh yeah, there's wine wineries in every state in the U.S., and they were actually making yeah. decent wine in Iowa. Huh. No joke. Yeah, had no idea. Next time you go to Des Moines, you uh, you should go and check out some of the winery. I can't remember the names of any of them, but uh, huh. but yeah, it was great. So, so George, traditionally when you were eating a burger, you're pairing. Do you like to pair it with with alcohol, beer, whatever, or do you generally like to drink it with just a soft drink or? All depends. It all depends. There's so many burgers in America that are served at lunch counters, and you wouldn't think of having a beer or alcohol. You think of having a root beer that, at the most, or maybe a milkshake. Um, but you know, the other half of those hamburger spots are in bars, and you really, really don't taste right if you walk into a bar at midnight to get a burger and you're having a coke or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to you want to have a real a real drink. But what I've noticed actually, I actually drink more whiskey when I'm making burgers outside, there's something about being working at the grill and smoke when the smoke hits my face. I gotta have a, I gotta have a drink right away. And that comes from my Southern roots. I have my mother's from South Carolina and um, I do spend a lot of time. Well, not recently, but I've spent a lot of time in the South and every single time the sun goes down, out comes the whiskey and we're all cooking around the fire. They build a fire and they cook everything over it. They will cook, will cook oysters, will cook uh, clams, burgers, ribs, whatever we're doing. And it's, it's whiskey all night long. So Rabbit Hole is from Kentucky, the cradle of bourbon for the world. Uh, it doesn't have to be made in Kentucky, but say about 95% or so of the world's bourbon supply comes from Kentucky, really within a 60-mile radius of Bardstown, Kentucky. What are they? What's the burger scene like in Kentucky? Any places jump out at you? Uh, a few. It's not. It's funny because I really had a hard time finding burgers there when I first started. I started studying hamburgers about twenty years ago, uh, but there I did discover two places in the southern part of the state, uh, which just north of uh, Nashville, because Nashville's sort of on the border of the southern border of, of uh, Kentucky, northern border of Tennessee. 
Um, so north of north, north of Nashville, there are actually a few really great places I discovered. And those places are cool because they're totally untouched. It's almost like it's weird primary source burgers that have been, have been untouched um, by or uh, unaffected by time, the trend or anything. And there are deep fried burgers. One's actually, it's fried in a, in a tank. And a, there are burgers that are uh, fried in this big deep frying tank. <laughs> wow. You can ask for your burger in Kentucky at this one place called Dovey's Cafe. You can ask for it squoze or unsquoze, which means do you want them to squeeze your burger when it comes out of the tank to go on your bun? Or do you want to have it unsquoze and get that really good, like, you know, greasy burger feeling? I think unsquoze, you could end up with third degree burns, right? If that thing explodes <laughs> on you when you bite into it. Or a bun that disappears. <laughs> so you mentioned, you said 20 years ago. I mean, how does one get to where you, I often get people ask me, how did you, how did you get into the, you know, the booze? And I say, literally I stumbled into it. Uh, but how does, <laughs> how did you, what started you on the path to becoming, you know, one of the world's leading authorities on burgers? It was a complete fluke. It happened, um, by accident. I stumbled into it. <laughs> uh, I quite literally stumbled in. I mean, I made a film about hamburgers, uh, to almost 20 years ago. I started working on it in 2001. I uh, shot my first uh, segment of this film, uh, ended up becoming an eight segment piece called Hamburger America, uh, which is profiled weird and fun, great stories about the American hamburger, people who make hamburgers. And that, be- that became a thing where a cult uh, kind of a, kind of a cult classic about a year and a half later, it was on television for a little while, ended up becoming a book, became a second book, became a TV show called Burgerland on Travel Channel. And then that's now become, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm a walk-on guest at First We Feast. I have my own show called Burger Scholar Sessions. Um, I have another book. Uh, we put out a third version of Hamburger America. Just gets bigger, and bigger. I'm also working on a Broadway musical. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about it for a long time. It's starting to get some. Um, uh, starting to get some legs finally. Uh, yes, it should be interesting. Also, we're also working on a restaurant. We're, um, we're making a restaurant this this spring. We're breaking ground in a restaurant. By the way, pro tip out there for any podcasters: when you've got a juicy, delicious burger sitting in front of you and you want to eat it while doing the show, ask the guest to describe their entire history in the business. And then you can just sit back and eat. <laughs> Not that I wasn't interested, George, but I'm like, what can I ask him? It's going to give me some time here to eat. So wait, tell me more about this restaurant. Is it going to be, uh, I'm assuming it's going to be a burger joint. It's going to be a chicken joint. No, just kidding. It's going to be a burger joint. <laughs> uh, but very simply, it's going to be the burger that I've been making for the last few years. I've been doing, uh, I've been tour- I toured my book uh, a few years ago. Um, and people ask me on TV shows to make make a bur- one burger from the book that's easy. You could, when they would see on TV shows like morning shows, what burger can you make in three minutes? It's like if you only have three minutes. So I came up with this one burger that from the book uh, called the Oklahoma Fried Onion Burger. And for me, it was the greatest, uh, uh, the, the path of least resistance plus the um, sum was greater than its parts for sure because it was only five elements. It was a bun, salt, beef, cheese, and onions. And that was it. And somehow those five things together were just they're explosive. Uh, so I made them on, a, I made the one burger on a TV show. I took a bite of my own burger and went, Whoa, that's pretty good. <laughs> and that became the burger that I started to make on every TV show. After that, every news appearance, people started asking for the burger in public. And I said, I don't have a restaurant. So I started popping up at Smorgasburg in LA, Smorgasburg in New York and became a thing where like they'd open the doors of Smorgasburg. There'd be a line, uh, 60, 70 deep in the first two minutes. So we realized we had something when COVID hit, whenever we, when the pandemic shut everything down, we were working on the restaurant. And I uh, came up with the idea because we were doing nothing. We were, for the first two weeks, we'd sat around going, like, what the hell are we going to do? There's no, no restaurant or nothing. 
So I literally, in at that moment, we invented something called the burger slide. You know about the burger slide? No. It's not a dance. Could be a dance. Maybe it's a dance someday. Maybe a dance on the, in the musical. <laughs> it's like you run and dive across the thing of meat? On your belly. No. Yeah. The, uh, we actually, I tore apart a piece of my closet, and we stuck a six-foot, socially distanced six-foot piece of wood out of my front window of my apartment. We made burgers in the backyard, and I sold burgers on a website in time slots, safe, you know, safe time slots. You'd show up at two o'clock for a double, the window would open up and a burger would come down the slide. It's amazing. The burger slide was born. Yeah. And we, so we've sold, we've sold, we did 25 slides between March and December. Uh, and we moved around. We, we moved out of the house. It got a little too crazy here. We had to move it out of the house. News media caught on to us. I didn't want to get in trouble. So we started partnering with restaurants and bars who needed to have food anyway in their bar. If you're, if you're, now, if you're in New York City, if you have a bar, you have to have food served with that as well. Otherwise, you can't stay open outside to be outside with alcohol. So we started p- popping up people's uh, friends of mine who had bars who needed food um, and who wanted the partnership and wanted to have the, you know, the attraction of the slide. And um, yeah, and just just last week, it was on the, it was on Dr. Oz. And uh, we talked about the, the, the burger slide was on Dr. Oz. <laughs> you mentioned L.A., LA, you would you think of LA, you think avocados, you think sprouts, you think kale. LA is an amazing burger town. Oh, no question about it. One of the best. I, they, I at least I, you know you would know better than than most. But yeah. to, there are so many burger options in Los Angeles. Obviously, everybody knows about In and Out, but I'm talking about some of the top chefs in the world. David Myers, uh, just from Comsad, he just did a pop-up in Venice for the burger. Their, their umami burger is another one that we get here. When we emerge from COVID, yeah. if you could go to, say, five cities to have a burger, what would they be? LA. I miss Los Angeles. I miss, I miss LA. I keep getting invited back there to make burgers, but there's, it, right, you're absolutely right. The burger culture there is fantastic and it's but it's not just because it's that's a new thing it's not something that just happened overnight it is literally quite literally uh one of the most important spots in, in the in the country for the history of the hamburger because it's where the portable the handheld you know you merging onto the 405 and the, with one hand and then with a burger on the other that was born there the whole idea of wasn't it right what right what was the place called right um uh, the right spot but that's where the cheeseburger was invented that's but even more che- importantly okay. In and out was responsible for ready for this one inventing the drive-through. People forget that. No, ca- I didn't know that. Yeah, there's one Harry a mile. Snyder. There's one a mile from my house. Didn't know that. Yeah, the, the original location was a small shack that had two driveways, one on each side, and two windows. That was he figured out if I had two windows, I could speed everything up. And it's what he did instead was just, you know what? If I put a talkback radio on the curb, if they can tell me their order, and by the time they get to the window, it'll be ready. So that way, if you had, you could have one at the window and one on the curb, and keep taking orders. He actually quadrupled his speed. So this way, the the customer goes in and out quickly. There you go. And, <laughs> oh, that's where the name came. I here. Well, I thought it was a sex thing all this time. I thought it was a euphemism. <laughs> uh, so there's where it came from. I didn't know. So I thought George that McDonald's. I thought they were the guy. What, what was their the McDonald's brothers? I'm not talking about Ray Kroc. McDonald's right. brothers were the guys that was out in, in the Inland Empire, right? Right. It was actually was also where it were uh, in and out started as well. What was their claim to fame? Just doing it. No, their claim to fame was they they were the ones who put the getting 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 shafted by Ray Kroc. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that was, that was they were very famous for that. <laughs> yeah, very famous for that. But more famous, more importantly, um, these were the guys who actually put the final nail in the coffin for the drive-in. 
the good old driving where the car hops in the drive-in, you know, in the, in the early days, this is a really cool story. The early days of car hopping, the whole, the phrase car hop comes from the earliest days, but even before hamburgers, where kids who were like, they'd wait by the restaurant, by the drive-in restaurant, and they would see a car pulling in to the lot and they would run and they would jump on the running board. And that's how they were known as car hops. They would, and they, if they jumped on the car and rode the car into, into their spot, they could take the order as they were coming into their spot and then also get the tip. That's where the car hop comes from. But the, that was a car hop culture lasted. I mean, it still exists today, obviously, but it was very vibrant between the, the 20s to the, to the 50s. But in the 1948, I think it was, or maybe 50-something, I forgot what it was, maybe in the 50s, Ray, uh, that Ray Kroc, sorry, the McDonald's brothers decided that the girls who were, who were uh, uh, running orders back and forth, they were car hopping. They were flirting with the guys too much, and they decided to put the, put an end to car hops completely. And they were the first to create a driving culture where you parked your car and went inside, and but food would be ready, ready to go. And it was the same thing. It just wasn't brought to your car anymore. So it's a pretty crazy story because at the beginning, the first month, people would honk and honk and honk, and nobody would come out. And they would say, come on in. And they would say, no, screw you. And they would drive away. <laughs> okay. And Croc was a – didn't he sell shake machines? Wasn't that his thing? He was a – he was the shake guy, right? I think he was selling them shake machines and then saw what they were. But he did try to work with them on it. They didn't want to do it, right? Wasn't that what it was? They didn't want to well, expand? They, 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 they didn't want to go with, the, from what I understand, they, uh, the McDonald's brothers didn't want to go with the franchising idea. They were afraid the quality would go down. And it probably did at first. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the McDonald's brothers were very, very particular about what their burgers should look and taste like and the experience should be like. They had very, very strong opinions. Ray Kroc wanted to make money, and he saw it as a money-making thing. The reason he went out there in the first place is because he was selling the multi-mixer uh, machine, and people would buy it. was called a three-gang, which had three milkshake. It could hold three milkshakes at one time. And then they got they got an order from for like seven of the machines. And he was like, no one's making no one's making that many milkshakes at one time. It's impossible. And he went out and saw the operation. That's when he was like, okay, I'm in. Let's do something. Let's make this. Let's blow this up. Got and he was right. He was absolutely right. It was a good idea. The problem is that they just, you know. There's, there's those that battle between, you know, quality and, and quantity, you know, and obviously uh, McDonald Brothers lost out there, unfortunately. Have you ever done a thing or maybe people are already doing it where you've recreated burgers in the form? So in other words, could you make a McDonald's Brothers burger in the, in the style that? Sure, it- definitely. I mean, in fact, I do this all the time. I, I recreate historical burgers all the time. Um, we just did one on the show uh, last season. We recreated the uh, the original Bob's Big Boy Double Deck Hamburger. I watched that one. Yeah, you. Yeah. I, I saw. It was pretty. It's what I love about your videos too, man. Is all the you got all the sound. You got all the yeah. sound effects going. All these things. I did not realize that 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 was such an influential burger in its in its own right. It was the first double double patty burger um, sold in America, pretty much. I think from what we understand, it was the first first double hamburger. First, it was, it's a double cheeseburger because it only had one slice of cheese. But people, the people don't realize, don't remember um, that a Big Mac also only has one slice of cheese, not two. Going back to sort of what I asked you earlier about where you would go, <clears throat> you, know, you mentioned California, but instead of doing that, I'm going to name a city and first burger joint that comes to your mind. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Uh, New Orleans. Oh, wow. Um, oh, there's so many. Oh, God. How, where do I go from here? Uh, I mean, one of my all-time favorites there is a place that's called Ted's Frost Top. Ted's Frost Top. Uh, it's an old old drive-in with, with the car hops are long gone. Uh, it was actually recently purchased by a bunch of uh, antique dealers uh, who were basically treating it like it was a, like an antique. 
and they they revived it. They brought it back in these fresh ground beef, and it's a fantastic experience. Also, also Porticol. Well, Porticol is the one I was thinking of. That's yeah, probably Porticol the most- is, is amazing. It's a great Hebrew experience. People don't think about Ted's Frost Top when they go to New Orleans. I'd let you know, it's funny. It. I've been to New Orleans, man, twenty five times. I've never heard of it. Ted's. <laughs> what part of town is it in? Do you remember? You know, it's behind Tulane. So if you're um. If you're on St. Charles and you go into Tulane, you want to be on the other side of whatever the avenue is, in the, uh, Carrollton, I think it's called Carrollton. Carrollton, yeah, that's that's right. Okay, it's, there. it's, it's, it's across from the uh, the stadium, so it's all the students are there. Also, right near Cooter Browns, by the everybody knows Cooter Browns. It's right Cooter Browns, Cooter Browns. Okay, yeah, of course, everybody knows that. Very famous old bar. What about uh, Chicago? Chicago, Illinois, Burger Place. Chicago, mm, another one people never go to. People think of the Billy Go. People think of Oshaval. That's great. Fine, whatever. Have your burgers. But I think the best one, uh, the, from, if I had to go to one, uh, and I was only in Chicago for, for a couple of hours, I would go to a place called Top Notch Beef Burger. And no one knows where it is because it's – people. I tell people where it is. Like, I'm not going down there. It's about 20, 20, uh, 25 to 30 minutes south of the Chicago Loop, which is a long way, in a car. But you're still in Chicago proper. It's in a little neighborhood called um, uh, called Beverly. And it's just an old school diner counter that serves a really, really great burger. It's classic, no frills, no no BS, nothing. St. Louis, Missouri. Hoo-hoo. Uh, I'm going to make some enemies of this one. Uh, <laughs> no, Carl's. Not technically in St. Louis, but Car- Carl's Drive-In is, is spectacular. It really is. It's, Carl's Drive-In is also uh, particularly important because it's the influence um, of Danny Meyer for Shake Shack. Um, not the same burger. I mean, sorry, Danny. It's actually, as he probably would agree, it's a better burger. <laughs> how, did, how did it influence him? Uh, because uh, this is where Danny grew up. Danny grew up in St. Louis by way of Chicago. I think he had relatives in Chicago as well. Uh, but St. Louis, uh, Carl's is important because they use this, the smash method, which of course we all Which know you about. do all the time. You do that all the, all the time in your videos. Just it, right. when and you so, say that, it, it's simplest, what does a smash method mean? So smash method is instead of forming a patty, you take a ball of beef, like a meatball, and it's a scooped portion of beef, and you throw it on the flat top, and it's formed by smashing it with a, with a very thick bacon weight or, or, or a smashing tool of some sort, like a thick spatula, into the shape of a burger, which is important at Carl's because – what they do at Carl's is very cool. They shape it. They almost like they're they're molding it, almost like they're like a um, like a bricklayer or like a, some kind of an artist. It gets tapered on the edges, super thin, so it gets crispy, and it stays a little bit thicker in the middle. Mm. It's a lot of work. A lot of work. It's a deft move. It's a weird move they do on the griddle. And I tried taking. I, was, I remember I have this one. I like to sit in one spot right next to the griddle. I tried taking a video of it once, and the grill guy was like, "Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> That's great. No videos, no cameras." So, how about Denver? Is Denver a burger town? It is. Denver, hmm, Denver, Denver proper, I don't have any real favorites right there. But if you go south of Denver to a little town called Sedalia, Sedalia, Colorado, it's a place called Bud's Bar. And Bud's, Bud's Bar is basically heaven on earth. Uh, it's one of these places that's, you know, it's just, it, there's nothing around it. It's a small little town, a lot of uh, cattle country there. And just a, a lot of really good people in the place. There's, that, there's a pool table in the back and no frills, no crap. It, the, the burger comes with, with a bag of, bag of chips. And uh, there's a, kind of a joke where there's, it's, in between, it's, it's in the main part of town between these two train tracks. And um, if trains are coming in both directions, which I don't know if you've ever seen a train in, in the West, but if the gates go down, you're probably sitting there for half an hour. So there's kind of a joke where if you walk out of the bar, you look left, look right, there's two trains coming, just go right back inside. Just go right back in. <laughs> 
when you talk about those sort of divey places, I mean, there's the, uh, what's it called? Corner, uh, in, in New York, uh, in the building. Yeah, Corner Bistro. Corner yeah. Bistro. And then out here we've got Hinano. I think you and I have talked oh. about Hinano in Venice, California, right by the Venice Pier. Classic. Just burger, bag of chips. They don't even ask you what kind of chips. It's just random. You'll get, you'll get Cheetos. <laughs> you'll get Fritos. Oh, yes, I didn't know that. Oh, you have to add, like, I'll get it. I'll go, hey, can I get, uh, can I get the Fritos instead? Um, <laughs> Let me. How about my hometown, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Oh, again, people are going to kill me, but I'm, there's nothing in like Philadelphia proper. The problem is, I go to I go to Philly, and I want I want a, I want a cheesesteak. You want a cheesesteak, cheese of course, yeah. I want a cheesesteak, of course, you know, or or you know, pork. Oh, right, what's your something. what's your cheesesteak? What's your place? Uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll educate you a little bit here. Yeah. We're just talking about this today. Um, right. I like Steve's. Steve's Prince of Steaks. That's like that started in Northeast Philly. Yes. Yes, you've heard. That's where I grew up. I grew up in the northeast section of Philadelphia. So everybody okay. knows. Everybody knows Pat's and Geno's. They're the two most iconic places. I'm not going to shit on Pat's and Geno's, but if I went back to Philadelphia, those places would be six or seven on my list. You know, yeah. they're more iconic. And if you've never right. been, but there's also Jim's Jim Steaks on South Street was was yeah. always my favorite. And Jim's would be so busy. And I always say, you know, the secret ingredient is the guys are sweating into that fucking meat, man. They're like, they're standing over And I'm like, I would be like, can you shake your head a little bit more? Get a little bit more of that sweat in there. Come on, get it in there. I think you're right. And the best about Jim's is it was, you know, South Street could be touristy and people would come and, you know, you'd watch them order. And, you know, you know, everybody knows the order. Wit whiz. But people would say, I'd like a, a, a Philly steak sandwich with some some processed cheese, you know, and the guys just looking at him like, huh? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? All right. So, okay. You, Steve's Prince of Steaks. I, I won you some points. I do like that one. I have, by the way, I had one today. Not a Steve's, but I had a, I had a Philly cheesesteak in New York City, which is not easy to do. Where'd you go? A place called Federoff's, which is a, it's a guy from Philadelphia who opened up a, a roast pork uh, and cheesesteak spot in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And it is spectacular. So good. I know a guy, I don't know if it's still there anymore. It's called Woji's. In the West Village, yeah, Woji's was Philly Bar, and yeah, they were good. Yeah, yeah, they, he would bring up the rolls, the Amoroso rolls. That's the key. Yeah, the rolls. Yeah, got the rolls. So wait, you no burger place at all in Philly? Oh no. So yeah, sorry. Back up a second. Um, if you go south of Philly, <laughs> to, towards the airport, there is a place down there called Charlie's. <clears throat> Charlie's is in Folsom, and um, they the kind of the the thing there is that you they do get a they get a lot of locals obviously they're right across the street from a school so they get a lot of kids after school little league teams they also get like ramp workers the guys from the airport will show up there it's an authentic hamburger joint it's it's fantastic i love the place so much and the I, the menu is simple it's just nothing more than like i think it's fries burgers and milkshakes and cokes and drinks and that kind of thing that's it that's like the place out here the uh, apple pan remember that place apple pan yeah yeah i don't i think they went i think they closed though no, they stayed open. They're still open. Oh, they're still there? Okay. Well, it's been, they went under a little bit of a, they have under new management, new ownership. Oh. So, yeah. Little thing happened there. You yeah. know what is still under the same ownership? The rabbit hole. And I'm going to have a little bit more. I got to tell you, George, you got to try it. Seriously, get this Fever Tree Smoky Ginger Ale with the rabbit hole high gold. It was so good with the, I don't know why, what what makes that pairing work? The ginger. And, with well, the savory of the meat? Early. Ginger is very earthy. I probably has some sugar in it too. Yeah. Um, I, 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 actually, I do have Fever Tree here, but I have the other stuff. I have the what's it called? The stuff. What do you put in a dark and stormy? What is what's that stuff called? Ginger, ginger beer. beer. Ginger beer. Yeah. Well, and the other thing about a dark and stormy is 
unless you want to get yourself, you were talking about getting in trouble for your burger place. Don't you make it dark and stormy with anything other than Gosling's rum. Gosling's is the, the only brand that's ever done this. They trademarked the drink. Oh, wow. The dark and stormy. Yeah. The Gosling family trademarked the drink. Because, you know, any drink, you can go, oh, give me a Manhattan. What kind of what kind of whiskey do you want? You know, it's the only brand that I think they did it in the early 90s, and they are very litigious about it. Hmm. I didn't know that. Many a restaurant, many a bar have gotten cease and desists from, from Gosling's. If you're making a dark and stormy with any other dark rum and advertising it, they'll come after you. Here's a thought I just had. So the reason that the the ginger ale, any ginger ale, works with bourbon, I think, is because it's a it's an ancient pairing. I mean, it, ancient goes back over a hundred years. Think about it. You've got seven and seven. You sure. Know, prohibition, pro, post prohibition, seven and seven, seven up and seven up and and scotch, obviously. Seagram seven. Uh, you also have um, um what's my mother? What are they? Oh, uh, there's a drink. What was it called? What's the uh, um, uh, Jack Which, and Ginger? Jack and Ginger. Sure. Same thing. So Jack and Ginger also, you know, sipping whiskey and ginger ale, it works very well. But more importantly, to me at least, when we're drinking around the fire in the, uh, with my relatives down south, they have a drink they call a brown. I think we've talked about it on your show yep. before. Yeah. Brown. So Georgie, fetch me a brown. And brown is literally, it's a red solo cup with ice filled to the top. It's about five seconds of whiskey. Glug, 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 glug. And then you top it off with a splash of ginger ale. <laughs> just, just a splash. Just a splash. And uh, yeah. I got to tell you, I normally with a burger, I would be drinking beer. But yeah. I, I feel like the sweetness, uh, the sweetness of the whiskey, and, and just so we, we're clear here, this isn't a, a whiskey. I'm not, I don't want you to pick up a bottle of the high gold and go, wait a minute. He said it was sweet. There is a sweetness to it. Well, actually, you tell me what you're getting because you're actually drinking it yeah. neat. Tell me what you're what you're getting from well, this. What I'm getting from this is that it does taste like a uh, a very well rounded rye. Now, rye can be anywhere. Rye can you you know you pick up a it's like a standard what do you call it, well drink rye and it's oh it's very it's very put hair in your chest you know this is more of a, a more mature rye in a way but it is perfect. so I've noticed that happening a lot now these days you're seeing these crossovers there's very cool crossovers with beer with with um with whiskey for sure this is kind of a perfect crossover you're getting you're getting the notes of the bourbon the barrel notes which is usually a little bit sweeter but you're also getting those spice which i think to, i mean most whiskey drinkers who drink enough whiskey they don't want to drink a lot of bourbon but they want to drink they want to drink a rye because it, it feels more like a drink to the, to me for sure else when you mix it with other flavors uh, it mixes i think a rye mixes better with with um with most mixers than a, than a bourbon would so if this is, has if it has rye spice in it, it's definitely going to be, I think, a lot better for mixing. Well, I mean, you know, great neat. <laughs> back in the day, rye was king. You know, rye was what everybody drank, and yeah, well, rye, rye predates bourbon, right? Yes, yeah. And uh, what I like about this high rye is that it adds a it adds that oomph to it. You're getting those delicate flavors that that honey that honey from the bourbon but then you're just yeah. getting that rye kick that spice yeah. that white pepper you get there i get you get a little bit of that on the on the back and i just feel like with the burger yeah it seems like a natural I, when you were i was getting the visual in my head when you were talking about being down in south carolina and the grills going and you know they're not fucking around with you know they're not fucking around down in south carolina they got some whiskey out you you drink the, the visual got me excited for yeah. hopefully hopefully this summer that's going to be yeah. i think it will be i hope we're going to be able to do but, that kind of stuff you know just do it just do it responsibly i mean someone like you <laughs> who has 
obviously spent a lot of time on the road. I don't think there's probably a city I could throw out that you couldn't throw out a burger place. You yeah. don't get you don't acquire that kind of knowledge by sitting home on your ass. So how are you coping with this? Is what like not being able to go do this? Do what you do. I'm not going to lie. It's we were talking. I talk about it every day, and as we were talking about this just yet today again, saying that I can't believe that it's been almost a year that I've been on the road. I mean, this time last year, I was in New Orleans eating my way. We, my girlfriend and I, went to New Orleans for three days, and we ate our way through New Orleans, and we ate 36 different things in three days. <laughs> That's the town to do it in for sure. Because we had to. Because we we had to do it. And the very last thing we had was the best thing we had. We had a we had a um an RNO special. That's a best sandwich at the RNO in Metairie. I don't know if you know this place. I know Metairie. I I've not been to RNO, but yeah. Oh my god. It was we couldn't we were just too full. We couldn't eat it. And uh we decided, oh just we'll pack it up, eat it on the plane. We got on the plane, the plane takes off, and the pilot comes over, he says, Okay, there's gonna be turbulence all the way to New York. We're going to shut down service. Everyone take their seats. It's going to be kind of a rough ride. We're going, oh, great. We <laughs> got this big sandwich. It's literally two feet long. And my girlfriend and I put down the seat back trays for both of our seats, <laughs> laid the thing out, opened the sandwich up, and it was like a like a, like a a fart sandwich. Just the whole cabin just reeked immediately. The girl next to me, like, covered her mouth up with, the, with her shirt. <laughs> we ate this thing. And uh, we said to ourselves, that was the greatest thing we ate all, all the last three days. Uh, it was this big fart sandwich from R&O. And everybody <laughs> on the plane hated you. It's like when you go to- uh, That was last big trip. That was it. I haven't like, I mean, I took one trip. I went somewhere else. I went to Miami for the South Beach, the South Beach food and wine. But that was it. It's been, it's been brutal because uh, the one big trip I took this year was I circumnavigated Lake Michigan in an RV with my kids. <laughs> As a, as a vacation, the, the socially distant, you know, vacation. And they hit, hit a bunch of uh, hamburger spots all the way around up through, you know, northern Michigan, the, the peninsula, and then down through Wisconsin. But, no, I miss it so much. Um, we'll get back out there again. I get a lot of calls from my friends. They're also – everyone I know from my uh, – you know, from all over the world, they're all stuck at home too. They can't They can't really get on the road and travel at all. The, so. la- the last trip that I took, and, I mean, it was less – I got back less than a week from when they shut down L.A., which brings me to – your thoughts on the burger situation there is Dublin, Ireland. Yeah. Anything? Is there burgers in Ireland now? Yes. Well, get you know, out of here. You know, a, you know, on. a good burger place in Dublin. All right. Well, I haven't had it yet. I'll tell you why. I know it's got to be good because there are these dudes there. I don't know who they are. They're a bit of like a sort of secret disciples of mine. I'm not just saying that this is a true thing. They open up a burger basically in my name and they're making a smash burger and uh, they're all saying it's smash burger in the style of George Moses. <laughs> so it's got to be good. It's got to be good. Did it, this place have a name yet? Um, I forgot what it's called. Uh, I think they actually tried to call it smash burger and they got shut down because of the, you know, the, the U S company. Um, but it's still, I forgot what it's called now. It's something smash burger. So well, that's gotta be a cool element to what you do because you are so knowledgeable and your your enthusiasm for what you do comes through. I mean, in in spades, man. It's it, I love watching your videos. I they're so entertaining, and love watching what you do. But so, do you have people that just totally geek out to you that are super fans and that sort of oh, thing? Yeah. yeah, I love them. They're they're fantastic. I mean, I keep in touch with a bunch of the super super like super geeks, um, especially in the U.S. I have a few that are trying to they're trying to uh, go to every spot in my book. Uh, and, and my book has 200 restaurants in it. So they're trying to hit 200 different bur- burger joints. And I said, don't try to do it at the same time. It'll kill you. It took me years to make this book. So, but, but even more important is that outside of the, outside of the U S I have fans, uh, especially, especially in Argentina, 
which is important because Argentina up until about five years ago had zero burger culture, nothing, nothing. It's weird. They had nothing to speak of because they all believe that beef should be about steak and steak, other types of, which you know, they're well known for their steak down there. Yeah. Yeah. Very well known for the steak, but it should never be ground up made into a hamburger. Hamburger was like this low class stuff and you should, you're better than that basically. But the better burger category in the U.S. has now filtered over into Argentina, or it's starting to at least now. And I've had a lot of fans down there. One guy who he say he sent me a DM saying, "Can I? Uh, I want I want to uh, tattoo your autograph on my ankle next to a burger tattoo." And I was like, uh, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about?" So I called my mom. I said, "Mom, this guy wants to tattoo my my autograph on his ankle. Should I?" And she said, "No, don't do that." <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I'm just I'm flashing forward a few years. <clears throat> Like in a bar and going, remember that guy that killed George Motes? Oh, no. Right. <laughs> I told him not to do that. Let him get the tattoo. Then he, killed the him. Tattoo. he went, he went uh, Selena on him. Uh, let me ask you this, man. Let's say, you know, you're going to open your restaurant, which I'm sure yeah. is going to be a tremendous success. I think so. It'd be good. Do you ever see a, do you ever see a future where you're hunkered down and just doing the restaurant? Or are you always going to be on the, on the road searching for burgers and, and doing that. I think originally we talked about doing the restaurant. I said, well, I'm going to be in the restaurant every day. And they said, that's great, George. But we still want you to be you. So I have business. So I'm, I'm the, the restaurant is basically mine, but I have business partners. And I also have a, a restaurant group that's working. That we're, all, we're all friends. We're all working together to make it happen, make this dream a reality. We all, the, all the parts work very well together. One knows real estate, one knows the kitchen, one knows, you know, I know how to you know make a burger and how to I know. I know burger history, obviously. So it's really, it's a really great, um, uh, grouping of friends and uh, partners for this thing. But I said, well, I, I kind of want to be in the restaurant. So it's going to be a, a half and half thing where I'm going to be in the restaurant as much as possible. And then I'll be on the road as much as possible as well. We're going to put a, we're going to put a thing in the restaurant that says, where is George? <laughs> and it's just going to, it's going to say, George is in Argentina. George is you know down the street. George is whatever. Just so people know when they walk in the restaurant, you know, at least I'm not just, I'm not at home, like watching TV and getting stoned. I'm actually, I'm actually working, you know, out doing something. So maybe, maybe you've already started to answer this question. You, you get to spend eternity in a burger joint. God says to you, George, you're spending eternity in a burger joint. What do you want it to be? What's it look like? What's the feel? What describe to me your eternal burger joint? Wow. No one's ever asked me that question, but it would be a happy place. It would be a place that I'm actually building. Um, the restaurant that I'm building is going to be that place. Uh, and we're building a, a, a restaurant where the old school style, where you've got the griddle right in front and the griddle's not facing the wall. So the cook is, has his back to you the entire time. The griddle's in the center and it's going to be surrounded by stools. And the idea is that I can sit there and talk to people while I'm cooking. And uh, as we're now designing the restaurant, the architect started to call. I heard him <laughs> speaking to somebody else. Oh, this is where George's stage will go. They're actually calling the griddle area my stage. Thought, oh, that's so that's so sweet. That is really what it's going to be like. We're going to put a sign on the wall that says where I am. But then you flip it over when I'm actually there. And it says, it's just going to say, let's talk about. And there's going to be a word. Like, let's talk about Led Zeppelin. Let's talk about oranges. Let's talk whatever. And that's going to be the subject we talk about while we're sitting around. My dream restaurant is small. It has a very simple menu, and everybody is sitting around um, talking amongst each other, amongst you know the and with me as well, and uh, just uh, living life and, and living life in a very simple way, in the way it should be when you walk into a hamburger restaurant. Will there be alcohol at the restaurant? Beer? What? <laughs> Originally, we were not. 
we were not going to do alcohol. And then we started talking about it. So you know what? It really does pair so well with. <laughs> how, how is it tough getting a liquor license there? Or not, uh, maybe not, to- maybe not at this point. Right. No, it's, it's very difficult. It's actually probably worse now because they've been so strict with everything, but it's easier to get beer and wine. Beer and wine is pretty simple. Uh, yeah. Hard alcohol is much harder. Uh, you, there are so many more hoops you have to you know jump through to get to hard alcohol. But I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends who are in the, in the business um, and who, you know, not the, not the business of handing out permits. The, the alcohol you know, business. a guy knows a guy knows a guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can By the way, all of, all of uh, George's meat will have fallen off the back of a truck. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got this, we got the best meat game. Well, yeah. yeah. Where you yeah get it smells that? good to me. I know a guy knows a guy and uh, yeah, we got our license. You'll make it happen, right? It's your, it's your yeah, eternal, it's your eternal space. I've had some friends say to me, if I can't walk in and get a beer in your restaurant, I don't care what kind of restaurant it is. I'm not coming. <laughs> I'm going to get it. No. George will keep the bottle of high gold under the, under the grill. Yeah. yeah exactly. For the special. There'll be whiskey. At the very least, there'll be beer and whiskey. There's got to be whiskey, man. Well, George Motes, I, you know, I love talking to you, man. You just, you got a great energy and you just, you know, things that, are just feel like, you know, when I think about all the places you've gone, all the burger places and, and it's the same way I feel about distilleries, right? When I go, it's very pure to me. You know, when I go to those places, I, I see the people that are doing it. I see the craftsmanship that goes into it. I see the care that goes into it. I see the history and all. And obviously there's a ton of history in the bourbon world. And when I talk to you about these, I mean, it's just, it feel, it makes, it sort of brings me back to, uh, when people gave a shit about making something good, all the places you, I never hear you say, when I ask about your favorite joints and I'm, I'm sure you're not poo pooing those, but I never hear you say like these custom designer burger joints, you know, and we also have those in LA and, and I'm sure you probably appreciate what they're doing there, but, but you always, you always mention it's like Guy does, Guy Fieri does the same thing. You always mention the spots that just are, they come in and they make the fucking burger and it's a good fucking burger and it might not have, you know, the truffle oil that was dripped over the ass of a virgin <laughs> and then funneled through, you know, it's just good. And that I love yeah. that that's, and you know that better than anybody. I recommend everybody pick up, uh, which, which of your books is the one, the essential one that they have to get? Well, the travel book, which is tough right now, but the travel will be traveling one day again soon, hopefully, is uh, Hamburger America. That's, that's the state-by-state guide to 200, 200 restaurants. 250? 200 restaurants. Um, I think we did up, we upgraded it. 152, 50. George has had some bourbon. I didn't that's hilarious. George is a couple high golds in now, and he can't remember what he wrote. Yeah. I, <laughs> Do it. And there's also, there's, I have a cookbook called uh, the great American burger book, which is uh, that is right. That's, I think that it's a totally different burger book. That's a totally different uh, book because it's a cookbook um, that is based on regional, true regional American hamburgers. And then of course, as I mentioned earlier, everybody go follow Motes burger, M O T Z burger uh, on the Instagram. It's great. I mean, I just, it's, it's such a, it's so fun to watch George do what he does and to, uh, and get you hungry. While, while doing it, are you on? In, are you on uh, Twitter too? Or yeah, same thing. Motsberger Twitter. Same thing. Motsberger. I I'm, yeah. I have di- I have all different kinds. I like to confuse people. Um, <laughs> you good on the way? Look at George is going in for more. I'm gonna have some more of that. Oh yeah, man. Thanks. Let's do it. We're gonna take a, a quick word from the sponsor, and I'll come back with something brilliant. But George, thank you, my man. Thank you. Good to see you. 
Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. Go to keeps.com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair, and your hair will take care of you. Well, that was that was so good. I love talking to George Motes. Joining me now, someone else I love talking to, and the man who is responsible for the delicious juice, the whiskey that I just enjoyed with that burger, an old friend of the show. He is the founder and whiskey maker, Rabbit Hole, Cave Zamanian. How are you, man? I'm good, brother. How are you? It's always good to have you on, man. It's always good to see you. You always look, you're very stylish. You always look, you always look like you're ready to go somewhere really cool and casual. And you got that, you got, you're in an amazing, you're in like a bunker, a whiskey bunker. Is that what you call it there? Your bunker? I am, man. This is, yeah, this has been my retreat, especially during the last 10, 11 months. It's my bunker full of uh, my favorite uh, whiskey and wine. So it's a fun place to hang out. And this is in this is in Louisville. Is this in your house or is this at the distillery? No, this is in my house. This is uh, in my basement. The only place that I can actually drink and smoke at the same time that my wife allows me to. You know. <laughs> so you're a big you're a big cigar and whiskey guy, right? I am. You know, I'm, I, I love food, cigars, and whiskey. You know, I think you know there's you can't go wrong with those in any combination. So George and I just really George first of all he loved the high gold it's such a it, it was so good so what I did Kabe I had a burger that I made a traditional burger that and I what I did is I took the high gold with a fever tree smoky ginger ale hmm. interesting and boy did that pair well with a burger that's amazing it was so good and George was doing it neat uh, and he had a special style of burger. I already forgot what the hell he called it, but it was, it, he loved it as well. So what I wanted to ask you, since you are the man who creates this whiskey, <laughs> what do you, what do you pair? First of all, I do, I think I see a burger there somewhere in the, uh, yeah. What do you yeah, got? I mean, what? I I have, um, you know, I made, um, a traditional burger, um, and it's basically just top notch sirloin. And, uh, I've got, tomatoes, red onions, and um, little mayonnaise, and lots of ketchup, um, and a, a great, you know, um, it's it's the Hawaiian king, I uh, forget what the name of it, it's bun, which is phenomenal. I really like that. It's sweeter, and uh, it makes a nice pairing with the, uh, with the meat. So this is something that George brought up that I was not aware of. So when I was talking about prepping my burger, and I'd be curious to hear what you did with yours, I talked about how I seasoned it mm-hmm. and George kind of winced and said, cause I pre, I made it and I put, I put an egg in there to it. And he says, no, 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 no. You, I guess when you put the seasoning in beforehand, it doesn't come out. You're supposed to just do basically meat, put it on there and then season it while you're grilling it. Is that what you do? That's exactly what I did. You know, and that's something that I learned from my wife. I used to do it exactly the way you did. And she did the same thing as George. I'm like, 
And, you know, ever since I've made the switch, um, I think they're 100% right. So uh, that's the way I cook this one, too. I made a big mistake. I, I seasoned mine. I put a little egg and breadcrumb in there. And he's like, what are you making, meatballs? That's not a hamburger. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you said that because that's what I, that was another thing I used to do. I used to just like really kind of wrestle with the meat. Yeah. And, and I learned that, you know, just let it be rested, be gentle. Don't try to, you know, smush it. Um, I think it makes a huge difference in the, in the final, final product. And so we, we got into it. Now, what, what would you do with a burger like that? What would you pair it with? You know, it's funny that we're talking about high gold and you guys tasted high gold because I think it's just such a versatile bourbon. And I typically, as, as I think, you know, typically like to drink it neat, but I think this is another one where, you know, depending on your, um, you know, what your appetite is, I think in cocktail, this is something that's phenomenal as well. So um, I can see a Manhattan going very well with, um, with a burger like this. And, um, you know, I've even had a Kentucky mule with, uh, with burgers. So, you know, any combination of those uh, would I think pair well, but for me personally, I love just um, the neat high gold with, uh, with a beautiful burger like this. With the mash bill, I'm guessing the corn is probably 60, 65% corn in that mash bill. And then maybe 20, 25 rye. Is that about kind of in that range? Yeah. So it's 70% corn. 70, and okay. 70% corn. Um, so it's a high corn, um, you know, in the mix. And then 25% malted rye. So that malted, I think, you know, um, it brings a lot of character and a lot of um, spice to the recipe and there's 5% malted barley in there. So, you know, typically on the nose, what I get is a lot of caramel, some floral notes, orange peel, and a little cinnamon. And then when you taste it, um, butterscotch, you get those bursts of citrus and again, some cinnamon and black pepper, particularly on the finish, I get a lot of black pepper with this. And I think that's that rye spice coming in towards the end, which I think gives a really, really nice mix and blend when it comes to uh, um, tasting it with a burger like this. Where are you from originally, Kabe? So I was born in Iran, believe it or not, in Tehran. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and I grew up, um, I was there till uh, right before the revolution. I moved to the States in 79, right before all that craziness and the hostage crisis. We moved to Southern California and um, went to high school there. And then from where, there, where in SoCal? Uh, Orange County, uh, Mission Viejo. Okay. Right so, down the street. But George told an interesting story about his mother's from South Carolina. And when he was drinking the rabbit hole, it just reminded him of being around the grill in South Carolina and they'd be throwing meat on there doing it. And everybody had a whiskey. You know, all the adults had a whiskey. Was it a similar culture for you out here? Did you, do you remember that from when you were growing up? Like oh, if, yeah. with grilling, was, was whiskey a part of that? Huge. I mean, you know, the funny thing is actually we had um, a Bob's Big Boy in Iran, believe it or not. Get out. That of was here. phenomenal. And I'm talking like original Bob's Big Boy, not not not, you know, what you're all the kind of uh, uh, kind of standard, if you would, um, high paced restaurants, really nice burger joint. And then when I moved to the uh, Southern California, you know, for me, In-N-Out Burger still is a classic. So every time I come back to California, I got to get an In-N-Out burger. And I don't know if you, it's still there. I'm sure fat burger in LA. Of was course. Phenomenal. Yeah. Fat burger is a big one. You know? Let me ask you this drill trivia for you. What is Bob's big boy? What type of burger are they famous for inventing? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't know. 
I don't know. I only know because George told me, so I'm not that smart <laughs> either. The double burger. Really? The double I didn't burger. Know that. Yeah. It's such a simple food and mm-hmm. it's so great. And that's kind of what I was with the whiskey earlier. Just I just had a bourbon and ginger ale, basically, and it was so good. I know. You know, it, it that's the beauty of it. You don't need to get overly complicated with it. And I think that, you know, um whiskey is is just at its simplicity, it's what's beautiful about it. And as long as it gives you that that flavor um, experience, that trip, if you would, I think it's doing its job. You know, the other place, you know, I lived in Chicago for nearly 20 years. Cheval is another beautiful, great burger joint. It's not a burger joint, but it's a nice restaurant where they do amazing burgers in Chicago as well. So that's another one where they do some funky things with these different ingredients. Uh, um, but I think, you know, it's, it's such a, like you said, simple uh, dish, but it can be so impactful. I was looking on on the site, looking different. Per- One of the ones that jumped out at me that I, it, there's a pineapple sour. This sounds great. Uh, two ounces yeah. of the high gold lemon, simple syrup. Well, let me just give you there. Two ounces of high gold, three quarters each of lemon, simple syrup, and pineapple juice with little Angostura bitters float on there. Yeah. Would that be on the rocks? Yes, I would serve that on the rocks. That sounds like that would be a great pairing for a burger. It, it would, you know, and it's and it's just such a it's it kind of lightens up, especially if you're not into or you're kind of just entering into the world of whiskey and bourbon. It's a it lightens it up, and I think it's a very very refreshing drink. When you mentioned that coming into it, if you had a neophyte whiskey drinker that came into the distillery, mm-hmm. what would you start them on? Yeah, interestingly enough, I would probably start them with Derringer. It's the sherry finish one. You know, I saw that on a list of the best whiskeys you could ever get on Rob Report. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. I think oh, it's, it's who, a wrote, fit- who wrote that list. I know who wrote that piece. <laughs> yeah, I know I, the guy. I, I know the guy, guy that wrote that list. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote the list, and and with good reason. Derringer's on there because it's it's some of the best juice that I've had in in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Um, but I think that's where I would go. And, and the reason is, you know, Derringer with the sherry finish, it's got a sweeter, a little bit more approachable for the entry. Um, even though it's a higher price point, I think it's easier on the palate if you're just getting into bourbon and whiskey. And I think it um, allows people to come in um, and it doesn't have that bite that typically people respond to with, um, with other other bourbons. Let's talk about this for a second. People equate the alcohol, the ABV of a whiskey with the power and the strength of it and how much it's going to, but that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes you can get up high yeah. ABV whiskeys that, that taste very delicate almost. How, how does that happen? Yeah. You know, I think it's a, it's a great, great question. You know, for me, a lot of that comes with the interaction between the liquid and the wood, the impact of the wood, um, is so significant. I can't tell you. In fact, we are just about to roll out a single barrel program. So I've been tasting a lot of, cat. it's a cask strength single barrel. So we don't water anything down. It is what it is. So it can come out anywhere from on the low end, it could be about 108, 109, all the way to about 115 proof. And I'm telling you, it's um, some of the softest, um, most well-rounded whiskey I've ever tasted. And it's obviously about you know, we're talking about 15, 20 proof higher than our standard. And I think a lot of that has to do with, again, the, the interaction with the wood and the, how, how the wood softens and rounds it out. 
it's I get that so much from people where they oh yeah I, I won't be able to drink that one and I said well you don't know you haven't tried you know you just don't know no you don't and I think this is where the beauty of the single barrel program is that you get to pick those honey barrels because not every barrel is going to give you that same well-rounded, just balanced kind of honey taste that you want in a, in a perfect uh, spirit. But, um, but when you do got it again, I mean, I can have a 115, 120 and it just doesn't feel like 115 or 20 unless you told me. It's a, it's great to see that that's happening for you. And obviously that's, both the product of your innovation and what you want to do, but also I got to figure the demand for, yeah. for the brand. I mean, the brands hasn't been around that long, but it's, it's just blown up. And, and, you know, I, I've, I've been a fan since it got on my radar a few years ago, but is this the beginning of even more expansion in terms of what you guys are going to be doing? Yeah. You know, I think um, innovation is always going to be a part of what we do. I think, you know, me well enough that I, I like to uh, create new things and I can't sit still. There's a lot of restlessness there. So these are all different avenues for me to branch out and do some uh, cool things in addition to our core products. So the single barrel is one of the uh, lineups that's going to join the ranks in 2021. We're doing a couple of other founders edition. We're doing a 15 year old release that's um uh, finished in Mizunara casks. I'm really excited about that. And this is for my own private stock because I've been buying barrels for a long time and just sitting on them uh, because Rabbit Hole has not made any 15-year-olds naturally. But there's uh, barrels that I had purchased a while ago. And uh, I felt that, you know, this is the right time. After two years of hunting down Mizunara casks, I was finally able to get some from Japan. And, and we're really excited about releasing that sometime, hopefully this year. I want to see you take a bite of that burger. I feel bad that thing's been sitting there for a while. What do you, what do you, <laughs> yeah, thanks. I appreciate it, dude. This is like, I George and I went to, to, you eat, I'll, I'll talk. So George and I went to town while we were doing, I, I told him the key is to podcasting is I would ask him a question. I'm like, George, can you tell me your entire history, please? And then while he started talking, I was just in the background eating the burger. How is it? Is it good? It's good. And you're and doing that with, is that with the high gold? That's the high gold. Yeah, it is. And it's nice that it sat there. Just it's um, that's another thing my wife keeps telling me is like, take it off, let it sit, let it rest and then bite into it. No, it's fantastic. I mean, look at the look at the color right there. Yeah, it's perfect. How is the burger scene in Louisville? You know, surprisingly cool. We have um, a place right down the street from the distillery. It's called uh, Grind Burger grind burger kitchen and uh, they do a lot of really cool um kind of southern style burgers so that's a great joint there's another place called muscle and burger and those guys are pretty awesome too so you know it's um it's pretty good i mean the culinary scene in louisville is phenomenal we've slowed down a little bit obviously because of covid but uh, but there's some we have a great culinary program here in the city so it's been kind of the place for a lot of young chefs to get started and uh you know, we have Yum and a lot of other kind of food companies here. So it's a great place for, for food and beverages. So I, I guess we'll we'll wrap with this. I want to, your prediction, and you are not a uh, epidemiologist by any means. I mean, let me say that for the record. Your training <laughs> was as, you were a pharmacist, right? A uh, psychologist. Psychologist, same thing. Yeah. Drugs yeah. are involved there. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, right. no, but uh, psychologist. So as a medical professional, and again, I caution, he is not an epidemiologist. He is not an infectious disease expert, but Cave knows things. And I know he knows things. When am I going to be able to come to the to Kentucky 
and do the bourbon trail? What, what do you, what's the minimum earliest, the fall, would you, you say? Know, I think safely, we're actually going to open up the visitor center probably sometime in March if everything goes the way it is, starting with maybe a couple of days a week and, and work uh, our way from there. I really think it's going to be probably sometime midsummer before we really get going, just because, you know, it really depends on how fast they're going to get the vaccine out and uh, get people out and about. But I'm hopeful that sometime in midsummer, we're going to have a lot of places open and people starting to visit us again, and maybe by fall be kind of back where we were before. From your lips to God's ears, man. I hope, <laughs> I hope that's right because I am, I, I'm, while I love having you on the show, I'm sick of doing it with you over Zoom, my friend. I'm ready to I'm Listen, ready to man. be in the same room with you, smoking cigars, eating burgers, drinking whiskey, and <laughs> doing it the way we did it forever. I'm ready I to know. get back to that. I miss it. You and me, you and me both, brother, man. I can't wait to see you in person and uh, get out of this bunker, actually, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it. And that's going to actually do it for the whole episode. I want to thank uh, George Motes uh, for coming on and, and doing the burger and whiskey thing with me. I want to thank you, Kaveh Zamanian, for always, anytime you come on the show, we have a great time. And I look forward to the next one. And of course, everybody out there listening, Get the rabbit hole, get the high gold, get a burger, try it. Hit me up at WWD underscore podcast. Let me know what you think. Where can they find you on the uh, Instagram and social media, Kaveh? Yeah, just rabbit hole on Instagram. And um, my handle is KZ rabbit hole, but rabbit hole on Instagram is the way to go. And, and on Facebook as well. Let us know what you think of the whiskey and the burgers. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Dan. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.